Whenever we do this, we remember Jesus' Jesus's promise to the God in the Gospel of Matthew that wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Now, as we prepare our hearts and minds for worship, I would invite you to use the words in the bulletin as a centering prayer to help guide you into this time and space as we listen to the prelude. rise in body or remain upright in spirit as we join together in the call to worship to worship and pray we have come this day to meditate on God's teachings we have come this day gathered as one family of Christ we come together in love Holy Spirit be with us in our worship this day Draw us ever closer to you, that we may become one. Draw us ever closer to your word, that we may be wise. Draw us ever closer to your world, that we may serve and love, as you guide us to do. In your holy name we pray, amen. Amen. Jesus, we see. Praise the Lord. 
The Lord watches over our ways. Let us put our trust in God's grace and confess our sins against God and each other. Let us pray. We delight in your law, O God, but we don't always follow the rules. Shower us with your mercy that we may know your forgiveness and your grace. Guide our steps that we may follow you more closely. Draw us ever closer to you and to one another, that we might support one another as we follow where you lead us in our efforts to create a world of unity and boundless love. In your mercy and grace we pray. Amen. Amen. God watches over us with mercy and grace. Christ's forgiveness flows freely, redeeming us and making us whole. And as we are called to be in Christ Jesus, we are made to love one another in unity and grace. Let us share signs of unity and, and grace as we pass the peace of Christ with one another this day. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Peace be with all of you out there in Zoom land. It is good to see you all. <laughs> I want to take a minute to uh, speak to the young people who are with us this morning. When I was your age, I loved to do mazes. And if we're being honest, I still love to. I like trying to find the right path through a twisting, turning puzzle. And I'm sure you've all worked on a maze before. You begin where it says start, and you try to find the open path that leads you all the way to the finish. No crossing any lines. That would be too easy. Well, finding your way through life can sometimes be like finding your way through a maze. Each day we have to make choices, and they don't always go, we don't always know which way to go. Sometimes we even choose the wrong path, and we have to back up and start over again. Well, I want to tell you a little story. Pretty soon after I got my license to drive, my brother and I were helping my dad take our boat out of the water after a trip up to Lake Champlain. Now, don't get too impressed. It, this was basically a rowboat with a motor on it that was always breaking down. Anyway, I really wanted to do the driving, so I convinced my dad that I could do it. Now, many of you are still young enough that you don't know what it's like to drive a car, but driving can be tricky if you're not used to it. But driving with a boat trailer can be really hard, especially when you're trying to back up. If you're backing up and want the trailer to go right, you have to turn the wheel left. Or is it right? Oh, see, I'm still not good at it. <laughs> well, I would start backing up, and the trailer wouldn't go where I wanted. If, if you're trying to back up straight, you have to keep the wheel really straight because even the slightest turn will make it So I'd have to pull forward and straighten it out, then try again. I kept trying and trying and trying. And no matter what, that boat trailer just would not go where I wanted it to. And I was getting so frustrated. It felt like I was in a maze that I couldn't find my way out of. Well, eventually, after I slowed down, I took a deep breath, I was able to get the trailer to back up right where I needed it to be, and we got the boat out of the water. Well, Jesus knew that life in this world is difficult sometimes. It's really hard. That's why he prayed for his disciples when it was time for him to leave this world. He prayed to God, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. No one was lost, 
But now I'm counting on you, God, and I ask you to protect them and keep them safe. We, too, have guides to help us make our way through the maze of life. In addition to the Holy Spirit, we have the Bible and prayer and our family and friends at church. Life may not be easy, but with God leading the way, we know that we will always find our way. Let's pray. God, as we search for the path that will lead us safely through this world, we place our trust in you and ask for your guidance and protection. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, friends, and I look forward to seeing you in person real soon. Friends, let us listen with love to God's instruction revealed in the scripture we're about to hear. Let us pray. May the reading of your word sanctify us in the truth and bring us to perfect joy. Amen. I'm, I'll be reading Psalm 1, um, the two ways. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But they, their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in, in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen.
I am, most of the time, a lectionary preacher. The Revised Common Lectionary is a wonderful tool for those who preach the Word. And one of the things I love most is that it connects us with Christian communities around the world as we read the same texts that they, they do on a Sunday morning. At the same time, the lectionary does have its setbacks. First of all, there are texts that rarely, if ever, show up in a three-year cycle. Stories like Ruth or Esther or Deborah. Stories that are really wonderful, but they just don't show up very often. Second, while all the texts are naturally part of a larger context, some selections, like the assigned reading from the Gospel of John this morning, really need to be read as a whole. Of course, to preach a whole sermon on a whole chapter of John would be difficult because, let's face it, there's a lot there. But because the lectionary moves us quickly on to Pentecost next week, this morning I would like for us to look at the entirety of John's 17th chapter. Now this chapter is Jesus' final prayer as he is sitting at table with his closest disciples, his friends. He has washed their feet, spent the last three and a half chapters teaching them, and as the night concludes before they go out to the garden where he will be betrayed and handed over to the authorities, Jesus prays. Now, I've chosen this morning to read from Eugene Peterson's The Message because it captures some of the nuances that other translations miss. So listen for the word of God. Jesus said these things. Then raising his eyes in prayer, he said, Father, it's time. Display the bright splendor of your sun, so the sun in turn may show your bright splendor. You put him in charge of everything human, so he might give real and eternal life to all in his charge. And this is the real and eternal life, that they know you, the one and only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I glorified you on earth by completing down to the last detail what you assigned me to do. And now, Father, glorify me with your very own splendor, the very splendor I had in your presence before there was a world. I spelled out your character in detail to the men and women you gave me. They were yours in the first place, then you gave them to me, and they have now done what you said. They know now, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that everything you gave me is firsthand from you. For the message you gave me, I gave them. And they took it and were convinced that I came from you. They believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the God-rejecting world, but for those you gave me, for they are yours by right. Everything mine is yours, and yours is mine, and my life is on display in them. For I'm no longer going to be visible in the world. They'll continue in the world while I return to you. Holy Father, guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred as a gift through me, so they can be one heart and mind as we are one heart and mind. As long as I was with them, I guarded them in the pursuit of the life you gave through me. I even posted a night watch, and not one of them got away, except for the rebel bent on destruction, the exception that proved the rule of Scripture. Now I'm returning to you. I'm saying these things in the world's hearing so my people can experience my joy completed in them. I gave them your word. The godless world hated them because of it. Because they didn't join the world's ways just as I didn't join the world's ways. 
I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you give me a mission, you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes. So they'll be truth consecrated in their mission. I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them, so they'll be as unified and together as we are. I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you've loved me. Father, I want to those you gave me to be with me right where I am so they can see my glory the splendor you gave me, having loved me long before there was ever a world. Righteous Father, the world has never known you, but I have known you. And these disciples know that you sent me on this mission. I have made your very being known to them, who, are, who you are and what you do, and continue to make it known so that your love for me might be in them exactly as I am in them. A word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as we've noted, this is Jesus' final prayer before his crucifixion, and it comes after the four chapters commonly called his quote, final discourse. He's preparing his friends for what comes next. In fact, the NRSV translation that most of us have copies of begins this prayer with Jesus saying, Father, the hour has come, which ties us all the way back to chapter 2, verse 4, in which Jesus, upon being asked by his mother to do something about the lack of wine at a wedding in Cana, tells her, my hour has not yet come. So this prayer, while drawing his ministry on earth to a close, also harkens back to its beginning, drawing full circle the mission God sent him to perform. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time parsing out the different things Jesus prays for, because, frankly, there are bigger fish to fry. However, it does behoove us to look briefly at what and how Jesus prays. This chapter can be divided into three distinct movements. First, Jesus' prayer for himself. Second, Jesus' prayer for his disciples. And third, Jesus' prayer for the church universal. In the first piece, he prays for himself. But it's not a self-seeking prayer as we might expect from any one of us. After all, Jesus is both human and divine. When he asks God to glorify him, it isn't to say, Oh, look at me and all the amazing things I've done. Rather, it is an anticipation of his restoration of his pre-incarnate glory. After all, as John describes in vivid detail at the beginning of his gospel, Jesus is the Word, and the Word was with God before the creation of the world. So following his death and resurrection, Christ will be restored to that glory, and in that glory... He prays for God's glory to be revealed. You see, the whole of Jesus' life and ministry have been pointing always 
to God. And that glorification will be accomplished in the last place any of us would expect it, on the cross, where God will take a place of shame and humiliation and turn it on its head as a place of glorification. The second movement in this prayer, which takes up the bulk of the text, is Jesus' prayer for his disciples. He knows that the visible presence they have come to rely on in his body, his physical self, will soon be taken from them. Even though he has assured them time and again that they will be okay, that the Holy Spirit's arrival is imminent, he is also keenly aware that they are not ready for what is coming. And really, how can they be? The shock of cavalry will be despairing. It'll be crushing for them. So in a quiet, tender way, he commits them to the care of God. In verse 8, he makes clear how the attitudes of his students have changed over time. He prays for the word that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. In short, these guys have received Jesus' words. They believe. Of course, they're the last people that we would have expected to have done that. They weren't religious scholars, temple priests, or even well-educated guys. They are rather from the margins, the sinners and the outcasts of society, simple fishermen for the most part. Yet they received his words with open and sincere hearts and spirits. And through those words, through following and seeing the healing presence in action, they came to know his divinity. They know he came from God and they believed. And through that, they believed that God was the one who sent him, which sounds like the same thing, but it is slightly different. In addition to believing in his divine nature, they also embraced his mission, a mission they came to embrace as their own. It is Jesus' prayer that they would be empowered to continue his work, and as he puts it at another point, to do far bigger things. The final part of this prayer is Jesus' prayer for the church, Big C Church, which is to say all who would believe through the word as shared by his disciples from generation to generation, and that includes you and me. Now, I could go on all day about the intricacies of this text and all the different nuances found within it, but I'm guessing that that would probably be more interesting to me than to most of you. So instead, I'd like to offer an observation and a question. Observation. This prayer is specific. It is specific in its content and its context. When we compare John to the rest of the gospel narratives, Jesus' prayer to the Father before his arrest in the garden is not off alone somewhere with clutched hands praying on a big rock while the disciples take a nap. It's sitting around a table. After a meal and an extended conversation, with the disciples hearing every single word that Jesus says. So while it is a prayer to God, it is also for them a confirmation of Christ's divinity and his unity with the Father. It affirms that everything he came to do and teach was from God. And that believing in him is believing in God. And believing in God is what leads to eternal life. Which brings us to our question. 
What is eternal life? When you hear that term, eternal life, close your eyes, what comes to mind? What do you picture? New Testament professor Caroline Lewis points out, it's not often that we get a straightforward definition of eternal life, but here it is. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Who knew it was so easy? But just in case that's a little ambiguous, let's lay out the pattern here so it's clear as crystal. Eternal life, according to this text, is knowing God. And knowing God is being in relationship with God. You see, eternal life isn't a someday, one day, off in the clouds time. It's right here. It's right now. It is, what are we waiting for? Come on, it's happening. This is the good, good news. This is what I think was such a stumbling point for the Pharisees and scribes and religious elite who had such a problem with Jesus. And the exact reason why the disciples were the ones that got it. It isn't about what is going to take place. It's about what's happening right now. The whole of John's gospel has been leading to this through Jesus' entire ministry, his teaching, his healing, his traveling. We have seen what relationship with God looks like. We have already experienced the wholeness of this relationship, and we have done it with all of our senses. We experienced it at the wedding in Cana. New life and relationship with God tastes like the best wine and plenty of it. We experienced it at the well in Sinkar with a woman who had been shamed and ostracized. New life and relationship with God feels like cold water trickling down a parched throat. We experienced it in Jerusalem where we saw a sick man who had been lying on his mat ill for 38 years. New life and relationship with God looks like a sick man made well enough to stand up, take his mat, and begin to walk for the first time in nearly four decades. We experienced it by the pool of Siloam, where a blind man was given sight. New life and relationship with God sounds like someone spitting into the dirt to make mud that heals a blindness from birth. We experience it any time a multitude of people gather, pressing in on each other for simply a glimpse of this rabbi from Nazareth. New life and relationship with God smells like a crowd of people enthusiastic for a taste of the kingdom. We have the opportunity to experience this new life and relationship with God every single day if we only open our eyes to the world around us. Because being in relationship with God means being in relationship with others, all others. Friends, this morning Jesus is praying for us. His prayer is one that lifts us up to God that we might be made one in him who has already been made one with God. It's a little strange that the lectionary schedule brings us back to this moment before the crucifixion, at this point after Easter. But the more I think about it, the more I think there's good reasoning behind it. When we read this prayer in the emptiness of the tomb, rather than the shadow of the looming cross, we see new life and new opportunities for relationship. Too often we see the gospel story as starting with Jesus' birth, 
But what if we imagined that the resurrection of Jesus was just the beginning and not the conclusion of the gospel? If that's the case, then the work of the gospel is ours to do. Our job is to help others to taste, to feel, to see, to hear, and yes, even to smell. Because the fullness of the gospel is the fullness of life. Amen. Let us pray. God, your word is a gift to nourish our souls, that we might be like trees planted by streams of water, bearing fruit at just the right time and living lives of never-ending faith. Amen. Now, we, in a moment, we're going to uh, turn to Betty, uh, Betty Dietz, for our minute for mission. But before I turn it over to her, I want to explain. Um, we've moved the minute for mission in the order of worship, and there's good reason for this. Um, mission is a response. The work that we do for the kingdom is a response. And as you can see in your bulletin, the movement of our worship, which is always uh, broken up into three distinct movements, we approach God, we listen to God, we respond to God, we're now in the response. We've heard the word, we've heard the gospel uh, read, and we've heard it preached on, and now we are invited to begin to respond. Um, so our minute for mission this morning comes from Betty. Betty, how are we going to respond to what we have heard? Can you hear me? We can hear you now. All right. Thank you. Pentecost. The Pentecost offering every single year is putting our attention on the youth and the young adults of the world. Uh, the scripture that the Presbyterian Church is using this year is God from youth, you have taught me. In um, the Psalms, in the message, David says it this way, you got me, God, when I was an uninformed youth and taught me everything I know. Now I'm telling the world your wonders and I'm keeping it at it until I'm old and gray. This church offering, national offering for Pentecost, concentrates on encouraging the youth and the young adults, mentoring them, but also being aware that our youth and our young adults can mentor us. With the foundation and faith built in the early years, our youth can teach us something about leading movements for change in their own communities and in the world. Gifts to Pentecost offering are helping to provide opportunities for young people to grow and to share their faith in Christ. Last week, Melinda Riley told us about the 40% that stays right with us here and that money last year and that gift went to Wizard's Wardrobe, something we know about, something we have seen, something we have seen grow in the Albany area. Next week, Bill Hasselbeth is going to share with us 25% of the monies go to young adult volunteers. And there again, we know personally how that program and that opportunity for young adults has affected someone within our own congregation. All of us, really. Pastor Janice 
has told us about the Presbyterian Youth Triennium, where she has attended as almost as long as the Triennium is Triennium has been out there. This money again to reach many, many young people. Ten percent is of this offering is uh, devoted to children at risk, and that encompasses all the other three areas. This gift we share will help young people learn important lessons about life and faith. And children and youth and young adults can teach us new things and help us share our faith too. Next Sunday, we will be celebrating Pentecost and we will be dedicating the Pentecost offering. I'd like to close with this prayer. God, teach us through every young person that we meet that we may see your house and not only as a place where young people are present, but where they are actively building the world that you would have us create. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Betty. Friends, God invites us to give the testimony of your heart, our hearts in practical offerings of money and time. Therefore, let us testify to God's love by offering our gifts for the work of the kingdom. Let us pray. Bless these gifts to be nourishment for a world hungry for your grace. Bless us to be nurturers of love for a world hungry for your compassion. Bless us to be one in ministry with you and with one another. Through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So I do want to lift up that... Uh, while this week we are uh, still worshiping virtually, next week we will be opening for in-person worship, and we are so excited. Um, we will still be offering worship on Zoom, um, so you know if you're not ready to be out in a crowd yet, you can continue to join us uh, via Zoom. If you're out of town, you can continue to worship with us via Zoom. Uh, if you're halfway around the world, worship with us via Zoom. We're on. Um, and we thank God for the technology that uh, connects us in this time. I do want to note that um, the CDC released updated guidelines this past week. And of course, they did it late in the week, so it didn't give churches any time to flex. Um, Please bear with us as we, uh, as we uh, get to know what these new recommendations are and how we can uh, best practice continuing to keep one another safe. Um, we, we know that many of us are vaccinated, um, but we don't know who isn't. Um, so for now, we will be continuing to mask uh, in church, um, and we do that because uh, our care, first and foremost, is to protect the most vulnerable in our midst. Um, so uh, please, please bear with us in patience. Um, we are playing catch-up just like the rest of you. Friends, let us now turn our hearts and minds toward God in prayer. God of grace, the world is full of those who delight in your teachings and those who scoff at your ways. We pray that we might meditate on you day and night that we might be an influence for good in the world. May we be like trees planted by streams of water. God of wisdom, 
The world is full of those whose faith seeks understanding and those who discard the truth. We pray that we might receive your word and know that you are the truth that transforms our lives. May we be like trees planted by streams of water. God of justice, the world is full of those who seek to do what is right and those who seek only their self-interest. We pray for those who protect the innocent and seek to overcome systems that oppress. May we carry your light until all might see your way. May we be like trees planted by streams of water. God of healing, the world is full of those who are sick, injured, alone, and in need of care, and those who dedicate their lives to caregiving and healing. We pray this morning especially for the people of India, whose own COVID crisis has been so horrific and terrible, claiming so many lives. We pray that your holiness and wholeness will draw near to all of those who are in need, that they might be filled with your presence. May we be like trees planted by streams of water. God of unity, the world is filled with those who claim that they belong to you and those who actively work against your plans and, and purposes for a new creation. We pray for reconciliation, courage, and faith for your church, that your followers will be sanctified in the truth and that we might proclaim the good news of redemption in you with great joy to a world in desperate need of good news. We pray this morning especially for the people of Palestine and Israel, for the residents in Gaza, for those who are being affected by this escalation in violence. God, we pray your protection over the most vulnerable children who are in harm's way. God, we pray that diplomacy would step in, that people would be able to hear one another. Help us to work for your justice and your enduring peace. May we be like trees planted by streams of water. As Christ prays on behalf of his disciples, we lift up to you the prayers of our hearts for those we know and love. God, we have named some of them before you here this morning, but we trust them and those who have gone unnamed to your protection and care in the silence of our own hearts at this time. Hear our prayers and give us confidence and courage that we might join our voices together, praying with the words that Christ himself taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Beloved, with the power of God's Holy Spirit, we have been made one in unity and love. Even as we go our separate ways, we go in unity and love to serve and to love with the power of the Spirit. Go with the blessing of community, guiding our steps and protecting our paths. Go in peace, remembering who you are and whose you are. Amen.